Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Emma Clifford. Emma graduated from the University of Central England with a BA in Sociological Research in 1995. Emma was born in the United Kingdom into a family who rescued animals. As a teenager, she became vegan and began actively protesting blood sports and other forms of animal cruelty, such as vivisection. After graduating, she moved to the United States and joined the animal welfare movement. For eight years, she worked at a local, national, and international level, immersing herself in the movement and learning how to manage a successful nonprofit organization. While at the San Francisco Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, she developed and directed the Feral Cat Foster and Sterilization Programs. She was also the city representative for the SFSPCA. She has presented at conferences and advised other humane societies in how to implement these programs in their cities and reduce the city's euthanasia rate. In 2003, Emma discovered that the cats and dogs of the Galapagos Islands were being poisoned as a means of population control. In response, Emma founded Animal Balance in 2004. Shortly after, Animal Balance began their work sterilizing the cats and dogs throughout the Galapagos Islands. Due to the success of this program, Animal Balance has expanded operations globally. Emma gives lectures and consults with many animal welfare organizations around the world to help find ways to reduce the cruelty and suffering of animals and implement humane and sustainable animal management programs. She now lives in Washington with her animal pack, and enjoys hiking, camping, and exploring. Emma, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Stacey, for having me. Wow, so you have quite a long resume there. But I wanted to find out specifically, was it the Galapagos Islands situation or more your work with the San Francisco SPCA where you found your real passion for community cats? I would say it was at the San Francisco SPCA. Once I was first shown how to trap cats, I got the bug like we do. <laughs> and and then the story started from there, really. Um, there was a colony down at 16th and 3rd that we had to do a relocation on. There's about 25 cats uh, living there. And um, UCF was going to build there. So we learned how to do a relocation. And from there, I really learned how to put together a citywide community cat sterilization program utilizing the local services. And then from there, once I found out what was happening in the Galapagos Islands, talked with the authorities there about, you know, perhaps not poisoning and instead utilizing high volume targeted sterilization as a strategy instead. They said yes. And that's how we started was over in the Galapagos Islands. And so that was back in 2004. And does your work continue to this day or was it a project you went in and were there for a few years and then left? What's the current status there? Well, originally we thought we were just going to work in the Galapagos and that was going to be it. But the program was so incredibly successful. And what really drove it was um, the support from the local communities. Once people realized that we were there to, you know, to help and to provide tools and information and basically assist the local 
communities and taking care of their own cat and dog populations in accordance with the authorities, that really pushed the program forward because then it was the local people asking the mayor of the towns for us to come back and continue helping. It wasn't animal balance driven. It was driven by the community. So what was happening was there was this social change that was occurring in the communities in the Galapagos Islands. And these are small villages that I'm talking about. And the people really wanted to have this service and they really wanted the help with their animals. And there was no veterinarian on the Galapagos at that time. So by working with the authorities and with the community, we were able to um, create this program that encompassed everybody. Um, It brought everybody together, even if their mandates, um, their missions were slightly different. This project actually brought everyone together to humanely reduce the cat and dog populations and at the same time help people take responsibility for their pets rather than penalize them for doing something wrong. So we were providing collars and leashes and we're doing dog training for the dog population. And then we were also showing people how to trap cats for the cat population. And so it really grew from there. And so the strategy that we utilized on the Galapagos, we then were able to apply to the Dominican Republic, to American Samoa, Independent Samoa. And now we're actually helping 10 different countries around the world. Oh, that's just wonderful. So you've basically established a model at the Galapagos, and then you've sort of packaged it and been able to replay it in other communities with tweaks and adjustments depending on the players, I would assume. That's exactly right, because we visit the islands first of all and meet with the people and the you know the local people and the, the authorities and try and get a, an idea of what's happening and then find out what's been done before, what's worked, what hasn't worked, and what resources are missing and need to be brought in to be able to create a humane animal management program. So it's done together. Everybody sits together and listens to each other's points of view. And then we create the strategy that would work for that particular environment and community and animal population. And you had mentioned that the sort of the local officials actually have asked you to participate and to continue your programs, which I think I I just get a tickle when a head of a board of health or I've had a mayor call me and say, you know, your program can't leave, you know, or can you bring your program to our community? And I just think that that's the best feeling to have that happen. Absolutely. It's the best endorsement ever to have the authorities that were previously killing the cats and dogs to completely flip and then support a sterilization program in Instead. Um, it, it talks volumes, doesn't it? And when, when we can have those folks on video explaining that and then show that video to other island um, authorities that we're working with, it creates this network globally where people can see the project in action, can understand what the authorities' concerns might have been prior, and then see the project in action and see the results that are very positive. So it all builds, each island builds for, to help the next island. And we learn so much from the people in the country and vice versa. It's a 50-50 exchange of information for sure. So what was life like for community cats on the Galapagos Islands in 2003? And then what's it like for community cats now? Okay, so back in 2003, the cats were not getting any medical attention and the populations were increasing. As more humans go to the Galapagos Islands for tourism, um, the more restaurants are created, therefore more food source. So the food source increased, therefore the cat population increased very quickly. And of course, it's in a highly delicate natural habitat area with endemic and native species there. So very important that we we um, show that a high volume targeted community CAT program can work on the Galapagos because if it can work on the Galapagos, it can work anywhere around the world. 
And so we were very conscious of this. So when we were putting the program together, we changed the name from Trap, Neuter and Release to Community-Based Sterilization Program. And the reason we did that is so that it wouldn't pull up any red flags and that we were able to do the work with the cats and help them first and foremost. And so that, that model has really stood well for, for the other islands. And in terms of cat population numbers, do you have any numbers? Yes. So the, the population on the Galapagos. So there are four islands where there are humans, cats and dogs. And we are allowed to work in the municipal areas of the Galapagos Islands, which is essentially the town areas. Outside of the town is the Galapagos National Park Service area where we're not allowed to work. But there is no food and there's no water. It's extremely arid out in those areas. So the cats tend to stay in the town area. So, yes, we were been able to, um, by 2007, we had um, sterilized over 80 percent of the cat and dog population in, on those four islands in the municipal areas. And the census data shows that three of those islands, the population has started to decline slightly. And on one of the islands, it's remained constant. So none of them are increasing, which is really positive. Yeah, because would, is the human population increasing on those islands or is that staying about the same too? That's exploding as well. Unfortunately, um, the human population is increasing um, very, very quickly on the islands and more people are coming out from mainland Ecuador and other places to settle on the Galapagos. So the human population is, is, is exploding, unfortunately, because that's going to obviously dramatically impact the cat dog population. Well, yeah, you would think as the human population increases, your cat and dog population would increase also. So if you're seeing slight decreases as well as staying constant, then you're actually seeing decreases all across the board in reality. That's correct. That's exactly right. Unfortunately, there is a little bit of smuggling that's going on. People are bringing cats and dogs from the mainland and hiding them and illegally bringing them onto the Galapagos. Um, and that's happened. That's been happening since about 2007. But the authorities are on top of it as much as they can be on top of it, um, given that the islands are enormous. There's 97 Galapagos islands and islets. So it's a huge area that we're talking about, even though we're just focusing on the four islands that do have cats, dogs and humans. And now let's take a moment to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Accidental Exiles by Bruce Perry. Jesse McAllister, a young Texan and a rock war vet, escapes to Europe where he seeks a new direction and to heal his desert wounds. Wandering the streets of Escona, Switzerland, he meets and falls in love with a beautiful Italian waitress named Sonia Altarelli. Since the horrors of combat he encountered with a boyhood friend, Jesse will have nothing more to do with war. This story is his farewell to arms. Check out Accidental Exiles on Amazon.com today. Are you starting to think about that special holiday gift? Why not give the gift of a Community Cats podcast branded t-shirt, coffee mug, bag, or other item? This is the perfect way to spread the word about helping Community Cats. The proceeds from the sales will go to support the Community Cats podcast and the Community Cats Grants program, which helps small groups grow their fundraising programs to be able to fund more spay-neuter programs for free-roaming cats. Go to www.communitycatspodcast.com and click on our shop button in the menu bar today to get that perfect community cat gift right now. Thank you, everybody, for supporting the show. I was just going to ask the next question. So if there was somebody who lived on the Galapagos Islands and they wanted to adopt a kitten 
I mean, is there sort of a controlled adoption facility like on the islands for people to adopt their animals or is that not, it's more of just everybody has community cats? Well, our strategy is to focus on um, humane population control through sterilization rather than building a shelter. We don't agree with building a shelter because all the resources that could be available are putting into housing animals, which doesn't make any logical sense. Right. So we put the funding into the sterilization program and then we work with the authorities to create a humane animal management stroke control program. So what we have done over the years in conjunction with the Galapagos National Park Service and ABG, ABG are the um, agency that um, are mandated to protect the biodiversity of the Galapagos Islands. Anyway, so together what we did was we came up with this system where we would microchip all the animals and then all of the guardians of the animals have a little card. It looks like a little plastic ID card, like a driver's license. And there's a photograph of the the dog or the cat on there, the microchip number, when they last had their vaccines. And then on the back is a reminder that if the animal is found on the streets and picked up by ABG or the park service, there is a fine to get them back. And if they're not sterilized, they will be automatically sterilized by ABG before returning the animals to the people. So yes, there is a system in place. They're also utilizing Facebook um, to be able to place kittens and puppies and other animals as well, which is working extremely well. And then they also have some associations with some humane societies over on the mainland where sometimes if an animal can't be placed, um, they're sent to the mainland. But for the most part, they're getting adopted within the community itself. People there have a real love for cats and a real need for cats because the cats, of course, keep the rat population down. And the people on the Galapagos are not allowed to use poison, which is a great thing. But so they, the cats do tend to have a job and a very important yeah. So um, it works out very well. It's a good balance. Yeah, no, it sounds good. It sounds, it's, an, it's a very nice self-sustaining model in a way. One of the things that we have encountered is that in our communities, a lot of folks are unfortunately more interested in adopting a kitten maybe than an adult cat. And if our area does not provide a lot of kittens, basically in the state of Massachusetts, it's become that way that there's really not enough kittens to sort of supply the market's needs, then sort of other avenues are coming into play, which might not necessarily be avenues where the kittens are spayed and neutered before they go home. People might be charging $200. Uh, you know, there's a whole range of other ways that people can get their cats. And it's it's a challenge to sort of be able to find that perfect balance, I guess, between handling the needs of the community cats, you know, as well as sort of the needs of what the community adoptive homes want too. Absolutely. And I think social media has helped us also tremendously with that. Even on the Galapagos, which is, you know, 600 miles off the coast of Ecuador, everybody didn't really get the internet until about 2007. And then after that, things changed very quickly because everybody was able to network. What's yep. interesting about the Galapagos is we're not allowed to move animals between islands either. It's very, very strict, of course. So when you're talking about adoptions, it has to be done within that island. So you're right, it's very insular. And so the, the Facebook pages that they're using to advertise the animals are particular for that island. So there's a very t- close, tight community of people that are adopting and, and doing doing community-based sterilization programs with the, with the authorities there. It's a very, very strong program. It's been extremely successful. And of course, probably the most important place in the world for it to work. Mm, Definitely, definitely. 
So tell me a little bit about what you have going on right now. You're in the middle of a project? We are, actually. We just deployed a team to American Samoa, which is about five hours south flying from um, Hawaii, right in the middle of the South Pacific. These guys are out there now. There's uh, 14 of them, and they're working with a local organization called Love for Animals. And Love for Animals actually started when they saw an animal balance project happen back in 2010. We were, in the, we were doing a dog project, actually on um, American Samoa and doing a demonstration and getting the equipment down and down there and showing people how to do targeted high volume sterilization campaigns. And that all went extremely well. And because that went well, um, this local organization called Love for Animals started and they got their nonprofit status. And now they are um, facilitating off island kind of mash organizations to go in and help them humanely reduce their numbers. They have census data. They're systematically going from village to village doing um, targeted high volume trapping of cats um, at this spot this week. Uh, they, they're really excited because they wanted to tell me to tell you guys that they uh, <laughs> trapped 55 last night. So they're very excited. 55 cats in one go for four people. So we were very proud of their activities last night. And I think it's going to increase as time goes on. So this is the first time that there's ever been um, a high volume community cat sterilization program on the island of American Samoa. And what is so beautiful about this particular project is that we did a lot of training with the Molokai Humane Society in Hawaii last year and showed them how to trap and they got the trapping bug. And so they volunteered to be our trapping team down in American Samoa. So islands are helping islands, which is exactly what we wanted to happen. It's this networking where people can pull in resources nearby and, and to be able to hold these programs. So we're very excited that that is happening this week. That's that's fantastic. And and how are you funding this program? Oh, we have such great support coming from Alley Cat Allies. They're absolutely tremendous. They're funding the um, American Samoa campaign, the Galapagos campaign. And then we also have just put out dates for four community sterilization programs for cats over on Hawaii next year, because as you probably know, Hawaii needs a lot of help. And so we are turning our efforts to Hawaii um, next year, plus the Galapagos, and hopefully returning to American Samoa if we can. So, and also Cuba, we've just actually returned from a trip to from Havana, where we've been meeting with the authorities there. They do not want to kill their cat population in Havana, so they asked for a strategy from us. We presented that to them. They approved it. And now we're waiting for the official sign-off between our two countries so that we can start a community-based sterilization program in Old Havana. Wow. Boy, you are one busy lady. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of work to do, don't we? And on that point, yeah, we'd love to you know, invite people to help us too, because we do travel to some very you know, beautiful locations. But at the same time, these locations do need a lot of help. And so um, our job is to provide the assistance that's required and help the local organizations and local people and local authorities set up their own programs. You know, we don't want to do it for people, but we want to be able to give people the information and equipment and, and kind of network people so that they can do this themselves. So are you looking for volunteers to be part of these teams that travel to these other locations? We are always on the lookout for great volunteers, absolutely committed, compassionate people that um, have an adventurous streak in them that want to that want to travel and help other communities around the world and share their knowledge. And if anyone is interested, they might want to pop onto our website, which is www.animalbalance.org or um, shoot us an email at info at animalbalance.org and, um, and we can let you know the list of dates that we have coming up and give you the application forms. 
So I would assume you're looking for veterinarians, technicians, trappers. That's correct. So we're looking for, yes, exactly. High volume, um, high quality spay neuter veterinarians. We usually have two or three per campaign. And then we also have another veterinarian who will do the health checks for us. So they could come from private practice or they could be somebody that's interested in getting involved in high volume spay neuter. And this is a great way to, to kind of come in through the door. We also then look for four or five at least um, high volume uh, technicians to join us and then three or four um, technicians that kind of want to move into that area. So we're trying to expand the base of um, volunteers that know how to do high volume MASH clinics and TNR so that we can um, help facilitate the other groups that are setting up around the world and get volunteers to them so that these programs become sustainable. So we sort of like in the middle of this spider web <laughs> of resources <laughs> to get it out to, to the different organizations that are getting set up around the world to do these high volume sterilization programs. And I assume that people will participate in these campaigns as a volunteer, but their airfare and that kind of stuff is paid for? Actually, it depends on the place where we're going. If the place doesn't have any resources, the volunteers actually do things like GoFundMes and raise their own um, flight money. On that point, I just wanted to let you know that the island of Molokai did that for their staff at the Molokai Humane Society. They helped raise the funds so that their team could go to American Samoa this week. So the whole community got together and helped them go. And it's so sweet because they're so proud of everybody going down to American Samoa and doing this work. So um, sometimes the groups will come that you know, mash groups or spay neuter clinics will come to me and say they want to go as a team. And that's awesome. That's great. And we can we can make that happen as well. And so, yes, it's veterinarians, technicians, um, helpers for who we can have in a recovery and, of course, trappers as well. Do you bring your own equipment or do you make the organization on site purchase the like the basically the traps and that sort of equipment? It's This is one of the most challenging things that we do is get cat traps and transfer cages around the world for as little funding <laughs> as we can. So we've been actually kind of clever with this. We use social media to try to find free base on container ships. And then we purchase through True Catch and Alley Cat Allies has been very kind and covered a lot of the purchases of the traps and the transfer cages and the forks and the um, you know the gloves and everything that we need. Yeah. And we work with the local community and find out where they're getting their supplies from. These are islands, they're getting their supplies from somewhere and there are container ships coming in. And our job is to find the free space on the container ships. So a quick example of that, you know, to show you how we do it, is that um, we there's a hay container that goes out of Portland every couple of weeks out to Maui. And so um, we actually put 100 traps and 100 transfer cages on there last year and got them out to Maui Humane Society for free. And so now Maui Humane wow. Society is set up with 100 transfer cages, 100 traps, and they're having clinics every two or three months now and really making a dent on their populations, um, which is great, which is wonderful. So in most cases, we're shipping the, the supplies around the world, the equipment around the world um, for the actual trapping and setting up the organization so that, that these projects can be sustainable. When it comes to the medical equipment, we do fly in with our own anesthesia machine because sometimes we're working quite remotely and we don't want to borrow equipment from other organizations because quite honestly, they need it. So we try right. to be as self-efficient as we possibly can with, with the supplies that we need. And then a lot of what we're doing in a lot of countries where we work, they might not know about some of the um, medications that we use. So at the same time, we're kind of giving information to the Department of Agriculture um, about these new medicines that are available. And then that expands the um, availability of medicines for the veterinarians in that country and raises the standard of veterinary care. The logistics just sound unbelievably crazy. I mean, I've run mobile spay-neuter clinics, but just the logistics of 
getting your medications, your drugs, traveling, you know, bringing what you know you have to bring with you versus what you can get locally, even just figuring that checklist out is a challenge. Yes, we have a lot of spreadsheets. <laughs> sure. <laughs> But tell you the truth, we have such wonderful partners around the world. Everybody helps and everyone tries to get as much as they can locally. And then our volunteers um, literally pack everything in. For example, going down to American Samoa, they were allowed two bags of 50 pounds checked luggage free. Everybody carried that amount in. <laughs> what a great story. I mean, it's just it's just very it must be very heartwarming to see these projects happen, to see these everything, you know, come true, see these community cats, their lives get better. It just I think it's just absolutely fascinating that you have this going on all around the world and it can be even more so. I mean, the sky's the limit. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's all a matter of, I mean, we have more requests to help different countries than we can cope with at the moment. So it's a sort of a, at this point, we did hire another person as our director of operations this year. So now there are two paid staff members, <laughs> Animal Balance, and everybody else is a volunteer. So we've actually doubled in size. So I'm focusing on fundraising right now so that we can grow our organization and expand our um, ability to help different communities around the world because the need is so high. And we know that our strategy works. And it's a very personal approach that we use. Um, we really do get involved in what's going on in the community. When the teams are on the ground, if there's a bingo game going on, we uh, locally, we invite people to go to, to that uh, from our teams and try to participate as much as they possibly can. Uh, and because it really does build that trust within the communities. And then that really does make for a sustainable program, because then as people in the, in the community start taking up the um, organizational side of things, we're then the cheerleaders. And then we're like, well, where are, the, where are the holes? What do you need? Do you need a high volume spay need to vet? Do you need an anesthesia machine? What is it that you need to be able to make this program work? And then the onus is on the local organizations and the authorities to make these programs move forward, which of course is our goal. So if there are folks interested in donating to help all these campaigns that you have going on and potential campaigns, um, how would people be able to do that? Oh, please, that would be wonderful. We appreciate any support and all support in whatever form it can come in. Go to our website at animalbalance.org and there's a donate button right on there. And that would be wonderful if you could help us. We really do appreciate every bit of help we can possibly um, muster from around the world. And we do share that on our Facebook. We have a very active Facebook right now, by the way. People might want to pop onto Animal Balance's Facebook and see the videos that are getting sent back from American Samoa. We're posting them daily right now and it'll show you the kind of trapping that we're doing and the kind of clinics that we run around the world, give you a, a, an idea, a flavor of what it's all about. So Emma, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Just one last point. I just want to thank everybody out there that's doing so much work to help the animals um, in the various communities around the world. It's not easy work, um, but when we all come together with the same you know, attitude, with the compassion, with the um, excitement to share information, to help share our resources, and we look at this in a global perspective, I think we can really make a huge difference on our planet and um, increase the level of compassion globally. And we all know that that one little kitten can change your life and we've all been changed by the animals and we've all learned so much from the animals too and we believe that the animals are actually bringing all of us together to share our knowledge so that we can better turn around and um, serve our communities making them healthier whether that be environmentally or with the animals or, or with each other so if we feel this is a very positive project beyond just trapping and sterilizing returning cats we do way much more than that um, on a global level it's uh 
global community medicine, I would say. That's perfect. I love that. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Emma, I want to thank you so much. This has been an absolutely incredible show. I've learned so much just in the the 20 minutes we've been talking together. So I want to thank you so much for being a guest on the show. And I really do hope you'll be able to be on the show again and update us on your projects. Thank you. That would be fabulous. Wonderful. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 